morning, take your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 8. We'll be there in just a moment as we finish where God has been taking us in a series entitled, A Church Committed to Doing Whatever It Takes. If you had not been here for each of the weeks, just by way of quick review, in week one we saw four guys who had an attitude that they were going to do whatever it takes to get their friend who was crippled to Jesus. These four guys dug a hole in a roof and lowered him down to Jesus, and they had an attitude that nothing was going to stop them about their mission of getting their friend to Jesus. And they had to overcome some things that would be typical of their day and of ours as well. They were not controlled by convention the way things always had been done. They were not hemmed in by circumstances. It was just too tough or too hard. And they were not addicted to convenience. They were being willing to get beyond themselves and to be inconvenienced to help somebody else. And, and they were not inhibited by criticism. If you're going to do anything for Jesus, somebody's going to be upset. And they didn't let that stop them. But they began to have concern for others. And they had a spirit of cooperation. And they had this single hope that Jesus was the only answer for their friend. And, and this is the heart of what it would be for us to be a church committed to doing whatever it takes. We began to zero in a little bit closer. What would that look like? And in week two, we talked about discipling someone and allowing someone else to disciple us. We learned from Paul's words, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And remember, that's when we took, talked about that principle of inhale and exhale. You can breathe in and breathe in and breathe in, and if you never exhale, you'll pass out. And God has created us and wired us to not only receive from him, but to give out to others around us and to disciple them. A crude or a broad definition of discipling is I'm going to trace Jesus with my life. If I'm going to be discipled, I'm going to mimic, I'm going to copy, I'm going to trace Jesus with my life, and I'm going to encourage those around me to follow me as I follow Christ. Not follow my pattern, but follow Christ's pattern through me. We ask the question, who is doing that in your life, and who are you doing that for? Then we move to the next part of being generous and faithful and giving to others. It's not an accident that this came second. If, if we are not being discipled, if we're not tracing Jesus with our life, then to be generous is totally not possible. But if I become less and he becomes greater in me, then maybe I can see everything that I've been given, my time, my talent, my treasure, everything that I have is God's, and I can be generous and give that to others as I follow the pattern of Christ. And then we saw last week sharing Christ through our words and actions as part of doing whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. Remember Jonah who had an inward story of focusing on himself. His comfort, his shade blinded him and he had a shell of technical obedience but he never went the full gamut. Jesus not only had to correct this from years past, but he corrected it in his current day when he gave the parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. This extravagantly outward approach to take a risk and to see what is lost is valuable to God and to celebrate when it comes home, God is calling us to share Christ through our words and actions. It comes to this morning of seeing that my mind is set, my heart is humble, and my hands are ready. Now, we've been saying this impact declaration over and over, and today I don't want us to imagine anymore. 
I want us to begin to move from what it would be like if we were this church to a time of commitment to say, my heart is ready to commit to do whatever it takes to help people get to Jesus. How? I will be discipled and I will disciple someone else and I will be generous and I will share Christ through my words and actions. As it comes up on the screen, I want to encourage you, if this is part of your heart, you want to commit to this yourself. This is between you and God, but you want to commit to this uh, yourself, I want you to read this with me. I am part of a church committed to doing whatever it takes. I will disciple someone and allow someone to disciple me. I will be generous and faithful in giving to others. I will share Christ through my words and actions. To this end, my mind is set, my heart is humble, and my hands are ready, for I am part of a church committed to doing whatever it takes. If we're going to do whatever it takes as a church to help people get to Jesus, we have some things we can learn from Philip, who we find in Acts chapter 8, the second portion there. The first lesson I want us to look at this morning is the fact that Philip was sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you're taking notes, just jot that down. We need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. It was clear that Philip had developed a keen sensitivity to hear God's voice in his life. Consequently, he was able to follow this Holy Spirit leading, and it put him in the right place at the right time. Look at verse 26 of chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the, uh, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, this probably made no sense to Philip. He was in the middle of a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. People were coming to Christ daily. There were miracles happening. People were being healed. And this infectious joy was all over the early church at this time. And yet, in midstream, God calls him to leave and to go to this deserted place, this desolate road to Gaza. Look at verse 29. Philip's response, or the Spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. He was very direct. He said, it's time to go. And he was sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I can imagine Philip may have been tempted to say, but God, isn't this a little presumptuous? What what will this man in the chariot think of me? What will he say? Will he think I'm ridiculous? Will he believe me? Yet, Philip had a heart that was ready to obey. And you and I need to develop this sensitivity as well. The more we press in in prayer, the more we study his word, the more we wait on God, the clearer we hear his voice and we're able to have a heart like Philip had. Philip went on a little bit more. He had an attitude to do whatever it takes and he was going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but he did something else. He was available for God to use. Verse 27, it'd be easy to miss this. The Holy Spirit told him something, but it says here in verse 27, he started out. He started moving in the direction the Holy Spirit told him to go. Verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot. Now, it's important to pause here. We can have these spiritual goosebumps from the Lord, and he gives us an impression in our heart to to do this or to go there or to say that, and we often just stop. To do whatever it takes, Philip says, I'm going to act on it now. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be available for God to use me. Don't misunderstand, God can get his work done despite your disobedience. 
But God is longing to use you and I in his plan, and we don't want to miss the blessing of being a part of his redemptive work. The picture that is set up here is this Ethiopian. He was the queen's treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to find God, and he left Jerusalem feeling empty. I think it's a tragedy whenever people go to where God's children gather and they want to find God, but they leave feeling empty. All across America today, there are thousands of people who have made their way into churches, and statistics tell us that a good portion of them may leave the gathering of the church feeling empty. Possibly because nobody took time to be available for God to use them to speak to that person. It was at the beginning of this uh, season of mowing that it was obvious to me that my electric mower was not going to cut it any longer. Literally. I had an electric mower not because of all the other good reasons to have an electric mower. I had an electric mower because I'm a horrible mechanic and I can't get anything to work. And I love the idea of plugging something in and turning it on and it working. But I had ran over the cord a couple times, and that gets expensive. And I found that the electric mower doesn't have quite the cutting power that other types do. And when you come over a, a tree root, it can mess up an electric mower pretty quick. And so it had seen its better days. So I made my research online, and I found the gas-powered mower that was amazing that I was going to purchase. I knew exactly what I wanted and what I needed, and then I got a model up probably of more power than I needed for my small lawn, and I went to the store ready to purchase it. When I went to the hardware store, I went to the lawn section, and I walked up there ready to give my money to whoever would take it, and I don't know if you've experienced this in the hardware store, I couldn't find a soul to help me. And so I kind of look around, I, the mower's got to be here somewhere, I just need someone to help me. I look for someone to help me buy this mower. I wanted to give them my money, and I couldn't find anybody. So I walked to another department in that big box store, and, and I saw a bunch of people gathered together who had the vest on of that store, and they looked like they were worked there. I don't know if they were working, and some were stocking, and some were doing things, others were talking, and I made a beeline to walk to them to get some help, but it was almost as if there was a radar in the back of their head that sensed that someone was going to ask them a question, And they all started moving away from me. And the pack of them went between these doors that said employees only to the back of the store and left me standing there going, how can I buy this mower? It was frustrating. I was ready to buy and nobody was available to help me. So I took my $250 and I went to another store and found someone who would help me. You know, it's frustrating and even funny when we think about experiences in shopping when we've had that happen to us. But it's tragic when we think about eternal souls who are hungry and ready to hear the good news, but nobody is available to them. We need to learn from Philip in verse 30. He took initiative in a gracious way. Philip heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and here's what he said. Do you understand what you are reading? He took the initiative in a gracious way, not an obnoxious way, to reach out to him. What a great open-ended question. Now, Philip could have tried to impress this man with his great Bible knowledge. It was his turf. It would be kind of like a seminary student on Jeopardy, and the final question is the category of the Bible. I mean, they are ready to shine. They can just show off. But Philip didn't try to show off what he knew. He tried to highlight and focus Jesus to this man. So he asks a simple, disarming question. Do you understand what you are reading? 
Yet neither do we discover Philip going to the other extreme where he was afraid to talk to the guy about spiritual things. He wasn't what I call a, a stealth Christian. You know, those people who, they're kind of undercover Christians. No one's really sure if they're a Christian or not. They don't talk about God too much. And, and they're just waiting for the perfect scenario to ever talk about Jesus. They're not going to speak up until someone would walk up to them and say, you know what, I think I'm ready to give my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Should I do this by faith or should I do this by works? Could you walk me through this Romans road that I've heard about? I mean, if you're waiting for someone to say it to you that explicit, it's probably never going to happen that way. And Philip did not have a lack of initiative and he didn't have this overzealous approach. He was gracious in his attempt to help answer the question. Philip wasn't concerned about his ego or reputation. He was concerned about helping this man get to know Jesus. Say, Pastor Brady, what in the world does this have to do with this series? Friend, we are a church committed to do whatever it takes not to keep us happy, not to keep the lights on, not to ensure that other people can see the programs that we put together. We are a church committed to doing whatever it takes to introduce people to Jesus. And Philip understood this, that for this to happen, he was a vital part of it. And he began to put himself in a place where he was available to God. He took the initiative in a gracious way. And in verse 31, he was responsive to the question that was being asked. Verse 31, here's what the man asked. How can I, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? He follows up with another question. The Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Philip let this man ask his questions, and he sat quietly and listened. One of my mentors shared with me, Brady, you know, you don't learn very much when you are talking. You learn best when you are listening. There's a lot that we can learn from the world around us if we would just Listen. When's the last time that you listen to people who are in your circle of influence of what they are dealing with? I believe if we would listen close, the world is saying, don't impress me with your knowledge, with your theology, with your big words. I have a troubled teenager. Help me deal with that. I hate this dead-end job that I find myself in. Offer me some purpose in that. I feel trapped How come other people's kids seem to have it together? Other people have jobs that seem to be fulfilling. What's wrong with me? Why does God hate me? Do you have anything to share with me about that? We need to be disciplined in our listening and infectious in our caring. There's a couple ways that we can reach out to people. We can wag our finger and tell them what they need to know. Or we can open our arms and love them with the truth. And being transparent and vulnerable before them and allowing them to see where we have missed it, where we have needed grace, where God has brought forgiveness in our heart, in our life. Risk being vulnerable. Risk being transparent and sharing even in your own struggles, fears, and doubts. Give a little room for them even to shoot back at you. You don't have to defend your reputation. You don't have to defend God. We are secure in who he is. Philip goes on in verse 35. Apparently, he is intentional in his conversation. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. He didn't 
talk about religion. He didn't talk about church. He didn't try to sugarcoat anything. He told him what he needed to know about Jesus. He knew the answer that the man needed was Jesus more than anything else. Then he was decisive in his invitation. Philip must have closed the deal, and because in verse 38 it tells us that he, the Ethiopian, gave orders to stop the chariot, then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. He called the question, he said, are you willing to accept this truth that I'm sharing with you? Friend, we need to do whatever it takes and not be afraid to highlight the, the, the urgency of our relationship with Jesus. The benefits and the joy of knowing Him and the tragedy of living without Him, it's important for us to share. A question I love asking is, can you think of a good reason why you wouldn't want to accept Jesus in your life today? I want to make one final observation about Acts 8. This Ethiopian never again was mentioned in Scripture. However, tradition tells us that he returned to his people and Share the gospel that Philip had shared with him. There's a prophetic verse in Psalm 68:31. Listen as I read it to you. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. Many scholars believe that this eunuch's salvation was the first of a series of events that led to the fulfillment of this prophecy. Think about it. An entire continent touched by the grace of God through Philip's obedience, his availability to do whatever it takes to share Christ with this man. In the final moments of our time together this morning, in the bottom of your outline, you see five blanks. I want you to pull out that note sheet, whether you're taking notes or not, and I want you to hold that in your hand and and look at these five blanks. And as I'm talking to the next number of minutes, if God brings somebody to your mind who doesn't know Jesus, I want you to jot down their name. I'm not going to have you turn this in. You're not going to post it on the wall somewhere. This is just for you. You're not judging this person to the best of your knowledge. They don't know Jesus. Now before we just dismiss this too quick and say, I can't think of anybody, we need to stop and ask God to highlight in our mind, who is it in my family that doesn't know Jesus? Who is it in my workplace, in my school, in my neighborhood that doesn't know Christ? Who is it in my circle of influence? I may only know their first name. And is anybody else doing whatever it takes to reach them. Could it possibly be that I am the Philip for this person? I am the one who the Lord is saying, leave the excitement of what's going on in your world and go and get out of your comfort and go to their chariot. Go to the place where they are at and share that good news. As you're thinking, as the Holy Spirit brings some names to your mind, you jot that down. Friends, I want to give you an opportunity as we close this morning to take our divine imagination that we have been working with over the last couple of weeks and shift gears into commitment. I'm going to ask you to do what some would see as a tough or difficult thing. I mean, in reality, it's not that hard what I'm asking, but it's amazing the excuses we come up with whenever we put ourselves going on record to commit to anything. But in a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you say, you know what, Pastor, I want to be a part of a church that is committed to doing whatever it takes 
to disciple someone and allow someone to disciple me, to be generous and faithful in giving to others, and to share Christ through my words and actions. I want to be a part of that, and I want to do my part in that community. Not right now, but in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand up and come meet me here at the altar and press in as close as you can. There'll be some who'll be thinking right now, oh, I hate it when pastors do this. Why do I have to stand up and move somewhere? Pastor, are you saying if I don't stand up, I'm not a Christian? No, I'm not saying that. Are you saying that I have to do this just because this is your silly idea of what example or object lesson you think God wants us to do? I'm not saying you have to do anything. I only want you to move if you are wanting to commit to what I've laid out before you that I believe God has for us. Well, why do I have to do this? Friends, if we cannot stand up and step out in this room where it's relatively safe and comfortable, God help us. We are not willing to do whatever it takes when there's going to be opposition against us. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to, with your brothers and sisters, pray with me as we stand before God saying, God, we want to do with your help, whatever it takes to get people to Jesus around us. If that's you this morning, I don't want you to wait for anybody else. You just stand up and you come and stand here at the front. It may get full here quick. You just stand and you come. You say, Pastor, I want to be a part of a church that's committed to doing whatever it takes. And I want to do my part. Come on in close. If you're here today and you have a physical reason why you could not stand up or come forward, I'm going to give you an opportunity in a minute to raise your hand. And you're saying, I, I'm, I'm standing on the inside, though my outside is not able to. I know this isn't convenient. I know this isn't what we always do. I know this isn't what you thought would happen at the end of the service. So what? We're going to do whatever it takes and practice getting uncomfortable together. It's my prayer that God would stir in our hearts what breaks His heart for the community around us. Now I want you to do something with me that often we kind of think we can't do in church. I want you to look at the people around you. You're not like taking score of who's standing up. But I want you to see. Look around. Look around. Who's around you? Because I don't want you to feel like you are alone. Tomorrow morning, the enemy is going to jump on your shoulder and say, that was dumb. Why did you stand up and do that? You're going to feel all alone and there's going to be an opportunity to be available for God and you're going to feel like you can't do it by yourself. Look around again. Find these people. You're not alone. God never called you to do this by yourself. You're going to find somebody and you're not going to have a clue how to answer their question. I promise. Somebody around you is going to help with that. We're going to ask God to help with that. You don't have to have all the answers because He has the answer. Now some of you It's going to resonate deep in your heart this week. I want to share Jesus, but I don't know if I'm tracing Jesus with my life. There may be someone who's standing next to you that you need to take the step out and say, you know what? Can I follow you as you follow Jesus? I see you tracing Jesus with your life, and and I want to grow with you. 
We need to put to bed these silly ideas that i got to have someone who's smarter than me or maybe older than me who has gone to church longer than I have who can spur me on in the faith. Find someone who's doing a good job chasing Jesus and partner with them. Maybe there's somebody in this circle that you're standing with that God's going to call you to be extra generous with. And he's going to get your heart in a position to be generous with somebody outside these walls. As we pray together, don't listen to me pray. I want to ask you to pray and have God put in your mind one of the names that is on that list that you've already written down. If that list is blank, ask God to give you a picture of somebody in your mind. To the best of your knowledge, they don't know Jesus. And ask him to help us together to reach them. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. For these, my brothers and sisters, who have so graciously responded to this exercise that I believe you've put on my heart for us today. For some of us, it may be the first time that we have ever put feet to our faith of what we have believed in our heart and our mind and physically got uncomfortable and did something that we're not used to doing. Father, I pray that you'll take us back to this moment that we have covenanted between you and everyone around us that we are committed to doing what it takes to get people to you. If you're here this morning and you're seated and and, and you wanted to be standing up here but you can't, you just raise your hand to God as your testimony. You lift it up to Him and say, God, I am willing to do whatever it takes to reach the people around me. Thank you, Father, for the great work that you are allowing us to be part of. I pray that you'll help us this week to look for people that we could invite into your presence to experience you. We ask these things in your son's powerful and precious name. Amen and amen.